We'll start all over. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Hope that woke you up a bit. Um, you know, when, when we began back six months ago in October, and I laid out the direction we're going with a mission statement and the things that we had accomplished, you probably thought that sounded like Mission Impossible. But now that you've got some time under your belt and got the tools together, we've, we have, uh, have gathered for you, and uh, you're looking at, well, this is what I'm starting to understand about who I am, and this is what I'm understanding about the direction I need to take my life. Maybe you're thinking today it's not Mission Impossible, it's actually Mission Possible. In fact, I'd say for every man in this room, it's mission critical to know where you're going and how you're going to get there. In fact, um, last week, we started the hard work of crafting a personal mission statement. You remember how we started that? We moved from knowing our personal designs to making personal application, and that is really a hard right turn. And we did that in two different uh, avenues. Uh, I mean, the, the first is I gave you a quiz that caused you to think beyond yourselves to someone else's design, not just your design, but how other people are designed. And then I gave you some information that would help you speak another person's language. We called it uh, to um, use their currency. And do you remember the different personalities and their currency? I'll throw them up on the screen. Each personality has a particular viewpoint, and each viewpoint has a particular currency. And if you speak that person's currency, if you exchange ideas in that person's currency, uh, then you go deeper in your relationship um, with them. And I challenge you to try it at home. Try it on your spouse uh, by first determining her viewpoint then let that viewpoint lead you to her currency. And if you begin speaking your, her currency, then you'll begin deepening your relationship with your wife. In fact, I've done that with Patty over the years. My, my wife, Patty, has Crohn's disease, which is an incurable disease, an inflammation of the small intestines. And from time to time, when it flares up, she can get an obstruction, a blockage. And it causes her a great deal of pain, and I have to really be careful. We have to monitor that because it may mean we need to get her into the hospital in order to relieve the pressure that she's feeling. Uh, and so it's real easy for me when Patty has an obstruction uh, to begin analyzing the facts. I find it easy jumping into my achiever mode, looking at just the facts, uh, analyzing, you know, you know, how she's feeling, can we wait any longer, can, do we need to go to the hospital now, or should we wait a little bit longer? Uh, and, and I'd say rightly so, I mean, it's a medical issue and it can be a life-threatening issue. But here's what I've learned over the years with Patty's personality style, is that instead of focusing in the beginning on the facts, I need to be aware of her currency. Now, my wife's a harmonizer. Harmonizer's viewpoint is I feel, and so her currency is compassion. Now, here's what I've learned, that uh, when she comes to me and says, I think I'm having an obstruction, I need to communicate to her that I care about her 
more than I care about fixing this medical problem. And I can get into that achiever mode and focus in on fixing the, uh, the medical problem. So I have taught myself, when she tells me I feel like I'm having obstruction, to be compassionate, to tell her, I'm so sorry you're having to face this again. Uh, and then I try to be empathetic. Is there anything I can do for you? Can I get you anything? What, what if I gave you a back rub? How about that? And if I start that way, then at some point early on in the process, Patty looks at me and says, thank you for taking such good care of me. And I've discovered that if I start like that, not setting aside my analytical achiever mode, but just kind of keeping it in the background, I have it goes a whole lot better in terms of engaging with my wife and being able to assess in the long run whether to get her to the hospital or not. And, and because I spoke her language, rather than looking at the facts, trying to fix the medical problem, uh, I've learned that uh, it creates a whole different experience no matter uh, how diff- difficult the circumstance might be. So if you practice that, guys, I promise you, you'll go deeper in your relationship with your wives, but it's going to require that you have to pause and think and be well aware of her personality, her viewpoint, and her currency. And then secondly, we walked through writing a personal mission statement. I gave you a couple of examples uh, that I wrote for me personally, and uh, hopefully this week you began that process of your first pass at your mission statement. How many of you began that process? A few of you, all right. Well, it's hard work, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's really hard work, but I'll promise you this. As it gets refined, it's going to be rewarding work. Now, the reason it's such hard work is because it's heart work. It's getting at what's in here, in the core of your being. It involves issues of the heart, the real you. Now, a mission statement not only says what you're going to do with your life, but really by inference it also says what you're not going to do. In other words, what you're going to say no to, not just yes, but also say no to, and that's extremely important. So I want to encourage you to continue to work on, refine your mission statement. So what's next in the process? Well, we're going to take another step forward today, and I want to give you seven encouragements for your great adventure. In actuality, I'm giving you seven practical steps that you need to take in refining your great adventure and the writing of your mission statement. The first is reduce your statement to a slogan and to a word. Reduce what you write down in paragraph form to a single slogan and then do the hard work of getting it down to a single word. Now, everybody in the room is familiar with Nike, the shoe company. You're probably not familiar with their mission statement. Let me give it to you. It's to experience the emotion of competition, winning and crushing competitors. Now, that's pretty succinct. But but they didn't want to leave it there. Uh, They took their mission statement and they reduced it to a slogan. Can anybody tell me Nike's slogan? Just do it. Everybody knows it. But they didn't leave it with just do it. They decided to take that slogan, that passion statement... And, and shrink it down to a single word. In fact, they avoided word, and they came up with a symbol. What's their symbol? 
the swoosh. Yeah. Everybody across the globe recognizes that symbol as the shoe company Nike. So they did the hard work of reducing their mission statement down to a passion statement, just do it, and then to assemble the swoosh. So what I want to do this morning is try to illustrate for you by showing you how I took my mission statement, reduced it down to a slogan, and down to a word. And by the way, you're never finished with your mission statement. You're always refining it and changing it, and it's morphing all the time, evolving. So 20 years ago, I came up with this mission statement. To connect with God by striving to see Him in all things and joining Him wherever He... Joining with him wherever he's working by becoming a lifelong learner and by influencing people in my family, the church, and the community through speaking, writing, and interaction. Now, that, that was kind of a first or second pass at it. Uh, I lived with that for a number of years, and then I began to, um, to refine it. And it's gone through several evolutions. Uh, the statement I have now, it's, it's rather lengthy and I want to refine it further, but I've come up with this. As a lifelong learner, I'm uniquely designed to engage with God and strive to see Him in all things, to use creativity and innovation to persuade, lead, and inspire others to join Him in a noble venture that changes hearts, minds, and culture. So it, over the years, I have kind of... Um, hone that down to that statement, and I feel like that that does begin to strike at the heart of, of who I am. Um, you think about my personality. I'm an achiever, persister. The achiever is at my foundation, then a persister. But I also have uh, 55% of energizer and catalyzer in me. My subject matter is interesting. It's not things. It's not data. You'd think with Achiever Persister, that's what it would be. Instead, it's people. It's a focus on people. And what I love doing is bringing about change, but cultural change, to the lives of of men, to the lives of people in families, whether it's husbands or wives. I love bringing about cultural change in a society uh, by inspiring people to begin to see what they could not before we began to engage together. So I came up with this phrase that kind of encapsulates that mission statement, I turn lights on. I turn lights on for people. That, that's what excites me. I cause people to see maybe what they can't see at first glance. And then down to a single word, I wanted to refine it further. So whether I'm addressing the wounds men face in their life, or I'm talking about how to raise uh, masculine sons and or feminine daughters, or I'm talking about a definition of manhood that just comes out of the book of Genesis. Uh, I like to turn lights on for people. In other words, I'm an illuminator. That's the word that I think describes me best. I'm an illuminator when it comes to wanting to communicate and function in life, whether it's one-on-one with somebody or it's with a group or whether it's a message I'm giving on a Sunday morning. And that's one of the reasons I love teaching this class. I mean, I especially love the first year 
of the quest for authentic manhood where we talk about wounds, and I see guys wrestle with that kind of thing. And uh, I love turning lights on for them in things that when they walked in here they weren't aware of. And the reason I like doing that for men is because I think as men go, so goes the culture. You change the hearts of men, you'll change the culture. And so I want to focus on what really creates change in our culture, and that's the hearts of men. And one of the reasons I love doing this, uh, I can't think of a better place to engage in dialogue and ultimately illuminate in order to change culture. And that's just who I am. Now, if you're a persister, well, your mission statement's going to be different than mine. Uh, your passion statement and your slogan's going to be different than mine. Uh, your, your passion statement or your slogan or your word, I'm sorry, your word's going to be different than I, mine. Your word, if you're a persister, might be, well, I, I'm a reformer. Or it might be, I'm a standard bearer. Remember, persisters have values they live by. They evaluate everything by those values. Or it might be, I'm a barometer. Or let's say if you're a, pers- a persister harmonizer. And say persister is your highest, harmonizer is your second, but it's way up there, 80 90%. Then the word that might describe you would be an advocate. A persister means you've got values. Harmonizer means relationships are important. Uh, you tend to feel deeply with people, so you like being an advocate. That'd be a great word to describe you. Or you might come up with a better one. Or let's say you're a persister catalyzer. Now, catalyzers, they like fun, exciting things. They tend to um, act and then think um, so they can get a lot of things done. A word that may describe you then is a warrior. You like to act, take action, and you've got values you live by. That kind of sounds like a warrior. If that strikes a chord with you, maybe it's something like that. So I'm asking you to take your mission statement, reduce it down to a slogan, then reduce it down to a single words. Now, I'm going to give you some words that just may stimulate your thinking on this. Just miscellaneous words like uh, your word may be activator or your word may be maximizer or maybe it's refiner. Maybe you see yourself as coach. You're the coach. Or a facilitator, a gatekeeper, a deal maker. Or I had one guy who, who went through this, and you know what word he came up with? MacGyver. He loved taking whatever's around him and making it work into something that solves a problem. And I never seen anybody do it better than him. He was the MacGyver of our group. So uh, you take the Mission statement, come down to a slogan, a passion statement, and zero it down to a word. In fact, what I'd like to do is give you a few examples of this. Let me just, if you guys would just pass that on back. These are um, just examples of mission statements, um, slogans, and single words that, I don't know if I gave enough of them out. Let me just start these in the back. Yeah, pass pass it to those guys back there too. So this will kind of help you see what I'm talking about and give you kind of a, a pattern you can follow. Now, the better you can articulate your unique design from God, 
the better you'll begin to understand the course you need to take in the great adventure that God has for you. I mean, the better you articulate your design, mission, slogan, and word, suddenly the clearer your thinking becomes on the course you need to take in the future. So the work you do here pays dividends throughout your future, so don't shortchange this process. Okay, here's my second encouragement. Pursue the things that make you come alive. Now, we, we spent a great deal of time identifying the things that make each personality uh, style come alive. Uh, do you know your motivational needs and wants? I think that's key. I, I mean, is it recognition of person? Is what motivates you or what you feel like you need? Is it ideas and accomplishments? Or maybe it's in the realm of convictions. Or maybe it what, what you like to do always is ex- exciting. It has excitement and opportunities to make things happen. Or it may be you like playful contact and humor. Or it could be you like private time and personal space. Now, just, just look at all those. Do they remind you of something? Each one connects to a personality style. And identifying your personality style will help you identify what moves you, what motivates you, what what needs drive you underneath the surface. Uh, they're the motivational needs and wants of each personality style, and identifying those makes you come alive. You could say it's the fuel or it's the energy of your great adventure. Now, if I was talking to a student and he was a catalyzer, he's getting ready to go to college or maybe he's been in college and and maybe he's frustrated about the college environment. I mean, one thing I know about a catalyzer is they like to get things done. Um, I mean, as I say, he's an energizer. He likes to have fun. Uh, he, he enjoys many fun activities. In fact, to have his life linked with nothing fun would be a disaster. Now, the college environment, the academic setting, is not a place that you can have a lot of fun. So I just warn him about that, that college and learning, sitting in a classroom, may not be the the best environment for him. Uh, But if he decides to go that direction, then he needs to be sure and find some friends that like to have fun and needs to spend time with those friends. I mean, doing, I wouldn't probably suggest the crazy things to do, but I know the kind of crazy fun things guys do in college, and he needs to to have periodic times where he's just having fun. I'd also suggest that as he chooses his professors, he chooses those professors that have a unique teaching style, not in the simple lecture format uh, that would be more of an achiever format, but maybe for him in a hands-on format where he can discover some things. That would keep him engaged in a, well, an achiever environment of of lecturing, which you see in college over and over again. So suddenly, who he is in terms of an energizer can can impact how he engages with getting his college education, the environment around him, and he can help orchestrate some of those things in order to get him through what could be a very difficult uh, time in college. Uh, So you got to be intentional about pursuing the things that make you come alive. Now, my third encouragement. Say yes and no to opportunities based upon your unique design from God. 
And I want you to think all the way back to first semester. We looked at a statement the Apostle Paul made in Ephesians chapter 2. It said this, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, if God has designed us a certain way to engage in a certain course of action, uh, to participate in a certain kinds of adventures, then you would think it makes sense that he would desire for us to pursue the adventures that, that strike a chord at the core of who we are, that energize us the most in order to propel us down this path of living the adventure he has for us. Now, Peter Drucker said it a different way. I, I like the way he's put it. He said, answer the question, what have you achieved? I would say, maybe better than what is how have you achieved? How will give you a little deeper insight into who you are. He says, when you answer that question, that speaks to competencies. Answer the question, what do you deeply care about? That speaks to passion. And what he's saying here is your competencies and your passion begin to combine together so you begin seeing the role that you're best suited for. Just because you're good at something doesn't mean you should do it. And just because you have a passion to be a rock star doesn't mean you should do it. Uh, but finding where they blend together is a, a good way of pursuing life. So that means you're going to have to say yes and no to different things depending upon their consistency with your unique design. Fourth encouragement. This is critical. Include your spouse in your discovery process. Do not go home and say, Honey, I quit my job today. Uh, she says, Why? He says, Well, Doug says it doesn't match my unique personality. That's not going to go over well. No, you need to include her in that, that process. In fact, Peter put it this way. Uh, in uh, 1 Peter 3, 7, he says, Husbands, he's getting your attention. Dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to your wife as a weaker vessel, and as being heirs together the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. What he's saying there is if you don't honor your wife by including her in the process of discovery and keeping her up to date of what you're wrestling with, uh, did you notice what, he, what happens there? It doesn't go well. It doesn't go well for you and your relationship with your wife. But it goes deeper than that. It didn't go well with you and your relationship with God. Because your prayers remain unanswered. And it follows, logically, it's not going to go well with you and your great adventure. Now, you might remember, first semester, near the end of the semester, we went over ten adventure busters. Covered five and five in two different sessions. And one of the most significant adventure busters has to do with your relationship with your wife. By not including her in the process, you're going to ensure you have a busted adventure. Because you'll come to conclusions which she does, and then just announce them to her that she doesn't have the time, she hasn't taken the time to process with you. So guys, here's what I'd suggest. This is going to cost you some money, but... It, I think it'll be worth its weight in gold. I'd suggest that you tell your wife, I mean, I've learned so much from the service by design. Why don't you go online and take it? Pay for her to go online. 
take the servants by design, then get a weekend away from the kids and uh, talk about your different profiles. Now, it's going to stretch you because she hasn't had the class, so she's going to ask you a bazillion questions about it, and you're going to be thumbing through your notebook trying to figure out, well, how do you answer that? That's okay, being stretched like that. I think it's part of learning. The most important thing is you're talking about your design, and she's talking about hers. Now, she may say, I disagree with this part over here. Don't try to talk her out of it. You just listen. You take notes. You're trying to figure out, do you understand her design? I mean, where have you missed it? And you're going to learn a lot about each other. And probably the most important thing is you're going to learn about what motivates your wife, what her needs are, so you can be effective at meeting those. Imagine my life with Patty. Well, I don't have to imagine it. It was the first five years of our marriage. They were hell. Um, I didn't understand that her her currency was compassion. I didn't understand that communicating to her that I cared deeply about her was more important than trying to fix her problems. So from where I sat, I just fixed her problems, and I couldn't understand why in the world she's so frustrated with me. The, going through the Servants by Design is going to give you insight into your wife you may not have otherwise. Next, be proactive in finding your fit. Now, I've attached at the bottom of your outline, I think it's at the bottom, a reading list that might stimulate your thinking to find out more about your fit. And my exhortation to you guys is don't take this class and just stick the notebook on your shelf. You've got to be proactive, not haphazard, about finding your particular fit. And a book I meant to add to that list is one of the best books I've ever read on your calling. This is not like any book when you hear calling. You go, I don't know if I want to read that. It's not that book, I promise you. Uh, Gary Barkalo is very insightful in the way he comes at calling. And it is one of the best books I've ever read. I've just got it marked up. This might be a first step read for you in terms of where God is moving you a direction based upon your unique design. Okay, sixth, form a personal board to cheer you, cheer for you and hold you accountable. Now, this is a reinforcement from first semester. We covered this. Every man needs a personal board, a group of people who can be your cheerleaders. But they can also hold you accountable. In fact, the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament is described as a book of wisdom. I want to give you two pieces of wisdom that come from that book. The first from Proverbs 15 says, Without counsel... Plans go awry, but in a multitude of counselors, they are established. You could write this down. I need objective input. I need objective input. Every man in this room needs objective input. Now, you need it from guys you trust, guys you respect, guys who will will be straight with you, won't try to, to not hurt your feelings. Guys you trust, guys you respect, guys that speak straight to you. Proverbs 27:17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. In other words, it's absolutely critical that you have another person's eyes on your life. Now, do you know why? Because a man who confers only with himself will always come to conclusions that border on fantasy. 
A man who confers only with himself always makes decisions that border on fantasy. You've got to have other people's eyes on your life. So if I was advising a catalyzer, okay, what do we know about catalyzers? They have a lot of energy. They tend to be ready, shoot, aim kind of people. They take action, then they begin thinking about it and maybe reevaluating it. They get a lot of things done. They, they like uh, stuff with a lot of excitement and energizing. So if, if you were advising, if I was advising a catalyzer, what might I suggest that a catalyzer do? I mean, think about that logically. Probably slow down the process in making decisions. I mean, I'd definitely say you need to have two or three other people's eyes on your life. You, you, you'll have ten great ideas. Two of them will probably be fantastic. You need help, you know, ferreting out the eight that aren't going to be fantastic. You, you, you need to slow down the decision-making process take more time. Secondly, I'd say you've got to get a personal board, guys to cheer you on and encourage you, but also guys who will help you make decisions uh, that are in line with who you are as a catalyzer. And we all need that kind of accountability. And maybe some of that can start in your small group. Maybe there's a relationship there that struck a chord with you and you want to continue, or your small group wants to continue uh, even after this. I mean, that would be great. But every man tends to think he, he needs to pursue life alone, but you need other men's eyes on your life. Um, in fact, I, I don't know a single man who successfully navigates a great adventure by himself. It just doesn't happen. Never met one. You always need other people's eyes on your life. So form a board. It, it'll pay great dividends with them cheering you on and holding you accountable. Uh, next. The final um, encouragement is keep your pursuits in focus using your life compass. Now, life compass is a tool that I introduced last semester. And uh, I want you to to realize that when you began your life compass, you didn't know as much as you know now. You you just wrote out your life compass and entered things in the blanks. You remember the different blanks? Um, Before I die, I want to be, do, have, help, enjoy, and leave. Uh, You began working on that too without the information you have now. So here's what you need to do in light of uh, your unique design and what you've learned from your inventory. You need to go back to that life compass and begin refining some of those things. You need to put a little more flesh on the bones there. Or you may want to change and, and say, you know, it's really, I didn't want to do this. What I was really, I think I'm looking for is this. So given the information you know now, go back and refine that life compass. So I offer those seven encouragements to you. Uh, but I want to make just a few closing remarks, and then I'll let you go, and you can begin doing the work on not just your mission statement, your slogan, and your word. Can you guys recall the Adventurer's Oath? Covered it last semester. Here it is. I fervently live my life according to my design with the end in mind. Now, in order to live that out, that's saying the adventure, that's you, needs to have a connection with two areas. His past and his future. Both of those areas. Uh, When you go out into the world, you're going to make decisions based upon 
Well, who you are and where you're going. That's your past and your future. So in order to make good decisions in the present, you have to have a significant impact, connection with your past and your future. That's the adventurer's oath. Do you remember the wiring of an adventurer? Remember that chart we went through in great detail? I want you to notice, the more clarity you have about your past, that's the far left side of the spectrum, the past, and the more clarity you have about the future, that's the far right side of the spectrum, then the more wisdom you're going to have about the decisions you make in terms of your pursuits in the present. The past and the future is going to have impact on the, on the present. Now, the lack of clarity you might have about the past with regard to the negatives, the wounds, the unfinished business, or even the lack of clarity regarding your, your family, your successes, your friends, your faith, your morality, or your discipline, coupled with the lack of clarity you have about eternity, your death, and what uh, the future holds after you die, the more confused you're going to be here in the present about how you make daily decisions. The past and the future impacts your present decisions. So the adventurer oath, if you go back to it, I will fervently live my life. Now, that's in the present. That's what it's saying, in the present. According to my design, that's the past. That is what you've been given, what's been handed to you, how you've been gifted, your family upbringing, whether it's the wounds or the benefits that are there. With the end in mind, that's the future. So it takes into account all three. The past, the present has impact on the future. And and that's critical. So... Guys, when we began 20 weeks, almost 20 weeks ago, 18 weeks ago, and I said, uh, well, when we finish, you're going to have a great understanding of who you are, your design. You're going to leave here with a mission statement. You you may have concluded that that sounds like mission impossible. But but I want you to look at what we've given you during these uh, 18 weeks. I mean, we've given you the tools to do those very things as you're coming down to the finish line. We've given you the insights in your design. Uh, We've given you a big-picture approach to understanding how you're wired. In fact, those three things are really one of the greatest gifts you could give any man. Those three things. So, we've also given you, oh yeah, a vision of the end, of what you can expect at the end when you come across that finish line, not just the end of this life, but also the beginning of the next life, the one in eternity. And we've given you an opportunity to connect all those dots, the past, present, and future. So you have now the power to choose, this is how I want to finish life. And really, there is no greater gift, no greater power, no greater energy than you could give a man than choosing how he finishes life. And that's exactly where you sit. Now, a lot of guys see life as a, well, a long, drab grind. I mean, you look around the workplace today. You're going to see guys working. They're working hard, but they don't have a clue who they are. They don't have a clue where they're going other than I've got to make money. I've got to be a success. The more money, the greater success. That's kind of what they've bought into. And that's nothing worse 
for a man. So, so when you come to the end of life and you draw your last breath, I want it to be a place of satisfaction where you look back over life and you see the adventures you were given to live. And remember we talked about four adventures. The family adventure of love and legacy. That, that you're able to look at that with satisfaction. Yeah, I made mistakes. But that was a great adventure. Or secondly, the noble adventure of cause and contribution. In other words, you're making life better for someone else. You look back over that and say, yeah, that, that was a good investment of life. Or, or it may be the spiritual adventure, your relationship with God in glory. And you're thinking, I'm, I'm so glad I did what I did there and I engaged where I engaged. And then third, the man-sized adventure of fun and friends. And as you move through life, the information we've given you will allow you to put color on those four adventures. And that color is according to your design, how you're uniquely gifted. And that's what your end should be. So we've given you the tools to make it happen. We've given you the design profile that you need, the life compass, that simple but profound tool to move you along your way. So where you are today is you're sitting on the runway getting ready to take off. But in order to take off, you've got to engage your engines. And over the next week, I'm going to ask you to engage your engines and not just be a passive listener in here, but to carve out several hours by yourself with the material we've given you. And it could be, you know, an hour or two, a couple mornings a week, or maybe you get up really early Saturday before the kids get up and you carve out that time to sit down and engage with this material and take the design information, all the stuff that we've given you, sit and go over it and begin crafting that mission statement, looking to then bring clarification and refinement by focusing in on a slogan and then on a word, knowing that you know when you turn that in, it, it's not final. You'll be refining that for the rest of your life. And, and if you do that, I mean, there'll be a great sense of accomplishment. But if you go through this year and you've got all the blanks in your notebook and you don't do this last step of engaging the engines, then it's one of the biggest manhood mistakes guys make. You're not a finisher. And I want everyone to finish by taking it the distance. And I know a lot of guys that go to seminars like this, they, they take great notes, then they get to their office, they stick it on the shelf, they go, yeah, I've done that. But they don't have the courage to finish and to finish well. Uh, they don't sit down and write it out. This is what I'm going to live for. They, they don't have the metal to look in here to see exactly how am I gifted and decide uh, that's what I'm calling you to do. I want you to look back on this year and go, that was a great year. I learned a ton about myself, learned a ton about others, especially my wife and how I engage. And I got clarity on where I want to go in the future and how I'm going to finish. And I got some specifics that are going to help me down the path toward that. Now, that's a man. That's a man like Caleb. Remember we talked about him? You remember Caleb's life? In Caleb's day, we discovered there are two different kinds of men. I mean, there are those who spent their whole lives, as the Scripture puts it, wandering around. 
wandering around. That's what the children of Israel did. They just wandered around in the wilderness. Isn't that a great way to describe manhood today in our culture? Guys just wandering around. They spend their whole lives wandering around, but Caleb was different. I mean, he was head and shoulders um, above all other men. In fact, all the other men lived kind of a half-life manhood, but Caleb was different. He knew where he was going. That first group, that whole generation died in the wilderness except Caleb and Joshua. Everybody else died in the wilderness. They, a lot of guys just wander around most of their, their lives. Now, they're alive but they enter their 50s and 60s and they're just like corpses walking around, going through the motions. They don't have any passion about life. They're just looking to get up the next morning and get through the next day. But Caleb wasn't like that. Uh, Life just feels like it gets heavier and heavier, more responsibility after another. But for Caleb, he had a different spirit. In fact, Numbers 14 says this about Caleb. He had a different spirit in him. I want that for you, to have a different spirit in you, not like the spirit of our culture, a different spirit that pulls you above this age so you know where you're going, and when you finish life, you look back on life with a smile on your face, knowing you maximized what you were given, and not only... Do that for yourself, but you did it for others, people in your family, people you came in contact with, the cause you were involved with, and you have this sense of satisfaction. Now, when Caleb was a young man, you remember he and Joshua, they were young men, uh, their cry was, we can do it, we can take the land. It's, it's possible with God's help. And they did that with raw faith. We talked a little bit about raw faith last, last fall. And for you guys, um, I mean, for Caleb and Joshua, they didn't know how it was going to turn out. There were giants in the land, you remember? They, they didn't know how they were going to take those giants. But they trusted God, and they did that with just raw faith. In fact, if you're 40 and under, uh, that's the way you've got to engage life, with raw faith. You don't have the deep life experience in your 20s and 30s that you have your back against the wall with no place to go, and then you see God come through for you time and time again. And so you don't have those experiences to draw upon. And what you have to do is just have raw faith that what I'm doing is what God wants, and I don't see how it's going to work, but I'm going to trust him anyway. And that's exactly what Caleb had. Now, in the second half of Caleb's life, uh, he moved from raw faith... They took most of the, uh, the land, the majority of it. They took all the easy battles, but the best of the land was the high country. They hadn't taken that. And, and so Caleb set his vision on now taking the high country, the best of the best of the land. Uh, he conquered the best of life, not just the basics of life. And that didn't take raw faith. That took fresh faith. When you get in your 40s and 50s and 60s, you've got to kind of renew your faith. You've got to think back upon where God has come through and realize that he's in the business of of coming through and causing you to see different perspective of him through difficulties. I mean, even with my eyesight, I know God's all over it. I don't know how that's going to work. I may live the rest of my life like this. 
But I'm anxious to see what God's going to do. That's fresh faith. And it's a faith in the character of God. So here's what I want to do today as we finish. Um, if you're under 40, you just got to humor me in this, okay? I want you just to stand up if you're under 40. Is there anyone in here under 40? We have a few of you, few of you. I want to give you your battle cry. Your battle cry is to take the land. Take the land. Okay, you can sit down. Now, if you're 41 or older, attempt to stand up. Okay? <laughs> now, I want to give you your battle cry. Your battle cry is to take the high country. Okay, the best of life. You're in a position where you can do that. Okay, you can sit down. So if you're under 40, remember how they took the land? You don't have a great deal of experience, but you're just trusting God and His character. It requires raw faith. That's where you are. You'll eventually get the experience, but it's just going to require raw faith to do things right. And if you're 41 and older, you've got to remember how they took the country, the high country. They did it with fresh faith. Remember how Caleb said, I'm 81 years old today. I'm just as strong today as I was in the day of Moses when he gave us the command, now give me that high country. I mean, that is your battle cry, and you do it with a renewed or fresh faith. So we've given you the wiring. We've given you the insight and the tools. But you've got to be the finisher. You've got to do the hard work. So my assignment is finish that mission statement, refine it down to a passion statement, a slogan, and do the hard work of refining it down to a phrase. And uh, we're going to have a great time going over that. Now, um, that's where we're headed. And uh, I want you to know that you need to turn that in next week to me. You see the paper example I've given you? That's what I want. Except I don't want four mission statements. I just want one mission statement, one slogan, one word from you with your name on it, please. Do that. That's going to be the price of graduation. So you'll turn that in next week when you're here. And then the following week on the 21st, that's our last time we're going to meet together. Uh, we're going to do uh, several things. We're going to have a great breakfast. So I'd love for you to be here at 6 early so you can chow down on the food we'll have. That'll be fun. Uh, I also am going to award those of you who turned in the mission statement slogan and word with a little gift that's a kind of a reminder, a memento of what you covered this year. And it's just a way of saying you did a great job, way to go. Uh, we also want to take a team picture. I just like capturing a picture through the years of the guys who've gone through each year. And I'm going to offer you some challenges during that time of final charge. So that's kind of the direction we're headed. Now, Josh Dieter, he couldn't be here today. He had to be called out on business, but... I want to tell you a little bit about Josh. You probably didn't know this, but Josh is an avid golfer. In fact, last spring, he and I went out and played 18 holes. And I heard he was an avid golfer, but, boy, I couldn't tell by the way he played. In fact, the more, more holes we did, the more frustrated he got. He couldn't get any lift on the ball. Every ball was just a worm burner just scooting across the ground. He got more and more frustrated. By the time we got to the 18th hole, I mean, he set the ball as high on the tee as he could. He took his biggest club out, and he just swacked it. And it, 
it flew. It it got off the ground, but this is just a bad day for him. It hooked, and it landed over in the rough, and of all places, it landed on an ant bed, right smack dab in the middle of an ant bed. It's like a sand trap. He's over there. He's just shaking his head. He said, this is just par for the course. So he, he took out one of his irons, and uh, he swung at it and missed it. But ants went flying. I mean, they, whoa, you just see them going every direction. Imaginable. He took another swing. Ants went flying. A third swing, a fourth swing, and now he's just getting mad, angry. And uh, I walked over to him to encourage him. I put my arm around him. I looked down at the ball, and there wasn't an ant left in the entire bed except two. Right by the ball. And I heard one say to the other, you know, if we don't get on that ball, we're both going to die. Now, I tell you that story because if you don't get on the ball with developing your mission statement, your passion statement, your word, then you're going to die when it comes to the issue of experiencing the great adventure God has for you. So we'll see you back next week. It would be great, guys, if you could type your mission statement. It really would. We have word processors today. You don't have to handwrite it. Enjoy your small group.